Okay, everyone, and welcome to the third episode of the Sand Dune podcast. I'm Frank. I've been joined here with Hans to discuss, hey, we're going to discuss transparency. Um, But before we do that, we have a few things um, Hans wants to share with us about housekeeping items about the podcast itself. Yep. So we've got a Twitter account now. So you can, I mean, we've had Twitter accounts ourselves for a long time, but uh, this is now that uh, for specifically for the podcast and simple enough, it's called Sand Dune Podcast. Uh, That's the Twitter handle. And we also have an email address, which Frank, I don't recall. It's talk at sandune.org. So remember the .org, otherwise probably won't get to us. But Twitter's probably the best way to get to us. That's right. And the other thing we're going to try to do today, uh, which is probably a big relief to anybody listening to us, is we're going to make this podcast be shorter. So something like 20, 25 minutes, I think we're going to shoot for that and see how it goes. Yeah, we're going to do our best. It's uh, just trying to make it easier for those of you who don't have such a commute or are at home working permanently. What's a commute? (laughs) Listen, up until March of 2020, I had a commute of like, I don't know, almost three hours a day. So it was all podcasts and audiobooks. I think that the world has changed. So we'll see. <laughs> all righty. So as we were talking the last couple of days, oh, the last couple of episodes, we were discussing what we wanted to do in each episode. And there's a lot of different topics that we could discuss related to transparency, security, and privacy. But what I was going to do today is suggest we just talk about a couple of different transparent business processes, or I should say business processes that we think of today that we would want to make transparent and how easy or hard it would be to to make that happen. And the first one is anybody who starts working at a new company is hiring. So here's the idea. What would happen is if you were to apply at a company and as you're applying to that position, you're sending in your resume, but the company that you're submitting your resume to has all of this information public, not just the position, but if you submit your application, suddenly there's website, so-and-so applied for this job. How crazy is that? That's pretty nuts. And um, as a business, uh, as a job candidate, I would probably say, what what is wrong with you? Because obviously the last thing people want everyone to know is where they're applying, but it opens up a really interesting question with, Right now, most companies are utterly opaque. You're throwing your resume into a form and usually also having to as well type it into you know little boxes. So you've given it to them twice and then you never hear again. It's completely opaque. The interesting part is you have sites like LinkedIn that do easy apply, Glassdoor and things like this that actually give you aggregated data saying that, hey, 192 people applied to this job and here's their aggregate skill set compared to yours. And here's where you rank among them and stuff like that. So the concept 
kind of exists. The question, I think, for this one and for you know some of the others, I think, ends up being how far can you go legally and how far can you go before it injures your competitive advantage to know who's applying for you and you know who they may be leaving. Maybe in the perfect world, it might be nice to know um, that you have an employee who's actively trying to go. Maybe you want to do something to retain them. I don't know. Right. Well, that kind of assumes that companies would also be trying to spy on what their employees are doing at other companies. Now, if you know, you're the only company in the world that publicizes who is applying to for the position, then maybe everyone's going to watch what you're doing. <laughs> I don't know if that's, but if everybody in the world is doing this, then, you know, it'd probably be a whole lot of extra busy work to, to figure out who is applying and what jobs and whether or not that even matters. Yeah. It's a lot like evolution. There's, there's kind of been a reason that certain practices have survived. Um, and there's also reasons why things like the LinkedIn aggregate, um, also are out there. You know, you know, in the product world, you don't do something and leave it up there and keep developing it if it's not giving somebody some value. Um, you know, I think if you take even a higher altitude version of hiring, it's just understanding the process. A lot of people just say, put your resume in this box and that's it. You don't know, was somebody going to call me? What's the next step? How many rounds do you guys do? The, the answers to all of these questions exist. Right? They could answer them all right there in an FAQ, but they choose not to. Right, So there's kind of a weird lapse there where there could be transparency that doesn't butt up against you know, competitive advantage or intellectual property. What about interviews? So every interview I've ever gone into is a private affair with either a one-on-one -on -one individual or a small panel of people, and sometimes it's many. And... The question is, is all of the things that transpire, the things that the candidate says, the questions that the interviewee or interviewer, I guess it should be, asks, should those be public? Should there be a transcript of the interview process? I think that would be fascinating to be able to see, you know, different people's interviewing styles and what kind of questions are asked. And again, I'm not sure anybody's really going to want to pierce that privacy for an individual, but you have Glassdoor where people go in and then just dump all the questions they were asked into the website. So maybe you're getting some of the same types of information, just, you know, in aggregate in a different way. Um, but if everybody started doing that, it would be much harder to lie in an interview. And it would be much harder to get away with, as an interviewer, um, much harder to get away with just Googling all your questions and asking the same old stuff all the time. Hmm. Well, the thing I wonder about is even if the actual interview itself were to be not recorded, not transcribed, and just, you know, hey, you applied for this position, but then we picked somebody else. Now the person who actually gets hired for the position and the person who accepts that position, not always the same person, <laughs> because if you, sometimes people choose not to take on the job, but the question would be, is it for, is there any benefit to the rest of the team that you're gonna be working with 
who didn't get to interview you to actually see. So you almost do a post-publication, hey, by accepting this job, you also accept the fact we're going to take the interviews we did with you and make them public. I think that would be helpful to groups who want to know more about the people who are coming on. And if this was a practice company-wide, obviously anybody could see anybody's um, inception into the company, what they had to say. Uh, it would cut down on nepotism. It would cut down on identifying managers who don't really know what they're doing and can't really interview very well. It's interesting. I think there's a theme that's developing here, which is these things need to be kind of done consistently across a wide population before they become like super useful. And the other thing that's coming out of it is that people are already trying to do some of these things in aggregate. And obviously there is obviously some kind of value for it because people have built entire business models around it. Glassdoor comparably um, some of the other competitors out there. So it's interesting. Is this just, is this the end state of the market or is it going to get more transparent as time goes on? Hmm. Well, I'm going to skip the candidate selection process unless you really want to talk about it. But we could do a whole show on that. So let's do that later. Yeah. So that's one big challenging question. But in general, communication that the business has with others, right? So today, a lot of consumers will post to Twitter and very publicly say, hey, company, what about this? So there's the assumed, hey, I'm doing this in public. And if I send an email to a company, well, then there's sort of an assumed privacy around things. And if I make a phone call to a company, there is certainly a certain level of secretness expected. But we all know that telephone companies know who's talking to who potentially. We know that email can potentially get intercepted. So what if all business communication between consumers and a business and between business and its businesses would be done in a purely transparent manner? Is that possible? Well, it's interesting. It, it, it certainly depends on what the subject of the communication is. I mean, you do sometimes run into things that are regulated right? There's personally identifiable information in certain industries that you need to keep um, secret. Um, there's certain customer supports things that need to be, you know, a secret. Uh, but you also see, again, examples of people conducting external communications already on social media. And not just the big, not just republishing the press releases, but actually rendering customer support in tweets. I've seen it happen. I, I, there's a few people I know who seem that's the only way they get support is they don't call a number. They don't send an email. They actually tweet at the company. Like, you know, the top of my new, you know, shake cup doesn't align properly and the shake leaks out. Right. And so this guy actually went and tweeted at the company. He's like, what's wrong here? Are they all like this? Can you send me a new one? And they're going back and forth right there on Twitter in public. Yeah. I, w I wonder, do you know anybody who's ever had to do it that way? Because it, it seems like a fascinating, like new way of, of having to always kind of be a bit on your toe with 
what you're going to say and you must get trained in order to do that or you almost don't care what comes out what do you think uh, from the company point of view, most of these companies have a literally have a social media support um, group, and they're usually frequently meant to just say, "Hey, DM us, and we'll try to take care of the problem." They try to put them back in the regular support, but some companies actually handle it right there, out there in public, going, "You know, here's how we're going to handle it, which is we're going to replace your unit." Right? That doesn't sound right. That's not our. That's not our thing. DM us your address. So they've drawn a line as to what's private there, but they've already come out and said, yeah, it's a problem. We admit to it. Let's, 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 let's help you. And that buys a lot of credibility and, you know, genuine goodwill for the brand by being out in the open about it. Now you bring up an interesting point about you. There is, there are going to be times when you can make the communication be public and it doesn't, it has just mostly just upsides. And then there are times when if you ask for information that is BII, then you have to take it down this other channel uh, that is more sensitive, so to speak. Uh, and you, you know, even if you wanted to keep records that you eventually in the future reveal, then for example, you know, here's the list of customers who we interacted with over the last quarter. And here are the replacement units we've sent out. You might have a spreadsheet with that information in it. Well, you're going to have to redact some of the PII information if, if you're trying to be public, but at the same time, preserve an individual's privacy. Who, someone who may not want the world to know that, you, that they use an iPhone or an Android or whatever. Well, yeah, there's that like opposition security kind of trying to erase your footprint from the internet, which is, you know, security through obscurity. But, you know, we already have data loss prevention tools, and, which are pretty well understood. Um, when I was working at uh, a large financial firm, we were um, comparing them. And this was a decade ago when this stuff was new. And they've become so commonplace now that it would be trivial to have this built into both sides of the conversation so that people could engage in something and then the machine would stop them when they got too far. Right. Or they said, Oh, this looks like an account number, or this looks like it's private information. This should be redacted in some way. Right. Our oh, machines so are smart enough to do that. Oh, so you're basically saying, let's say I have an app that I use to interact with the company and all the information that transmits between the company and you is effectively marked public until there's some specific thing that you say, this is going to be sent privately, but that even if you're typing in, in the little public chat, oh, here's my address, the app that's on your phone would basically say, hey, are you sure you want to send this like this? We really prefer you send this type of information with a private flag. Yeah, or, or the chat bot or whatever, because I can tell you there was somebody else we looked up on Twitter um, for whatever reason, and this person was not very technical. Um, and we wanted to see if this person had ever been on Twitter, for example. And it turned out this person had approached Chase Bank many years ago and was literally putting their, um, their private information in tweets as if, as if it was a private conversation. So it's interesting if there was a technology that kind of just in general stopped you from doing this, 
right? It, kind of like an information seatbelt that goes hand in hand with trans. See, transparency is dangerous because it, you know, it, uh, it it's it's like a window you can't see. You mm-hmm. run into it if you don't know if it's really there. But uh, there can be curbs put on it so that if you get a little too private, the machine can stop you. Because, like I said, this guy was putting account numbers right on Twitter. I think they're yeah, there to crazy. this day. To this day, they're there. Wild. Well, I mean, I think though that that type of public communication, that even if hardly anyone is looking at it, there might be a few people who might be interested, that has a huge amount of benefit because it kind of forces both sides to be civil. I mean, they're not anonymous, right? And they they're not you're not yelling at a at a company that might be doing something wrong to you or or their product's not working. I mean, you could be yelling. I mean, you could be saying, tweeting all sorts of things in uppercase, but I think it might lead to some better behavior. I have used Twitter for escalations myself, but only when, you know, I've been on the phone for a week with everyone else. And then I don't tweet right at, you know, the company. I'll tweet at the company and I'll at the CEOs. But it has to be really bad before I do that. You know, it has to be really beyond the pale. Like in, in the last three years, I think I've only done it twice. But it's interesting, yeah. If they're out there in a public forum, you know, just to see that these people are reactive to you is a huge goodwill builder for your brand. And I think the interesting question then becomes how a company that's making all this information public makes it public. Is it a section of their website? Is it a free text search? Is it just a giant outline? You know, and I'm not sure we have the answer to that, but um, I know we keep talking about making things public and, and that's great, but what form is it going to take? Where do you store it and for how long? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. How long is that useful? Okay. Well, I think it's fascinating concepts. The question is, do we need to implement it and try to implement it in order for us to actually see if that works or should we just try to find companies that are doing it this way and talk to them? I think it's both. I think we absolutely have to do research on who's done what and how they're doing it. How, how do they've moved it into their process? Because obviously all this stuff comes with a cost, but is it really all that much different than the cost they have now? You already need to keep, you know, certain things in certain industries and probably all industries for a legal hold for a certain number, seven years, 10 years, something like that. Um, you know, financial stuff has to be held a certain way. There's a lot of regulation around certain kinds of information that means it's got to be accessible. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's private. So there's already a, you know, kind of an existing framework for holding on to data. The question is, how do you turn around and syndicate that in a way that makes sense? And is it just publishing it or do you add value to it or somebody else adding value to it? Right. Or is somebody watching the watchers? I think you've already identified the, the one point is that you're going to take public, you're going to take communication that exists across the internet and, or some other electronic form and you're going to make a determination is this private does this need to be held privately or can it be public now the really neat thing is that in anything that is public you now no longer 
care so much about whether or not this stuff can be leaked, right? So then the exposure of all the private information that the company keeps is reduced because they can now say, hey, we're going to keep only these type of things in our little secret vault. So we have a lot less information to try to keep private. And we got the rest of the stuff that's public and we just need to make sure it's sort of authentic and you know people aren't going in and make messing with it. So it's got to be kind of fixed in, in some kind of historical record. But I think that's, uh, that's kind of fascinating. Uh, we do have two other topics that we had thought about talking about. I think we'll push those to next time. So how about we go to the news? Yeah, the news is fun this week, but I'll let you, I'll let you lead this one in because this is just a, well, last this week, one has me speechless. <laughs> last week, we made bets on what was going to be this new name for the company that is a big social media giant. And what was the name that they decided to call it? Meat. Oh, Meat. you don't mean the restaurant. <laughs> You're talking about Wendy's, right? Yes. Yeah, I was, was making a joke on the joke, a meta joke. <laughs> yeah, Wednesday, w- Wendy's in uh, response to Facebook's name announcement decided they were going to rename themselves to Meet, which was, Wendy's is such a great Twitter feed. Well, I sat there and watched the likes on their tweet like go up like 1,000 every like, you know, 15 seconds. And that was hours after they posted it. Meta is just, and it had a very Microsoft looking logo. And as far as I can tell, doesn't really mean anything, right? The metaverse users that they have number in the tens of thousands if they're lucky, whereas they have 3.5 billion, you know, profiled psychometrically analyzed customers on the Facebook platform. So kind of trying to understand where they're taking us because I guess time will tell. Exactly. Well, why did this podcast get titled You Can't Even Trust a Pop-Tart? What the heck is that all about? Oh, that was just to get to people to click on our little podcast. Actually, that's not true. <laughs> the real reason is, is that Kellogg's is getting sued for a pile of money over Pop-Tarts. And, and you brought this to my attention, so I'll let you let they the listeners know what it's about. They're being accused of not putting enough strawberries in their Pop-Tarts. Um, and no, wait, I should say they're slightly healthier Pop-Tarts. There's too much apple in it. So there's a, a user uh, or a consumer of these things who uh, thinks that they're not healthy enough, which, of course, the, the, the Internet just responded back to that. with like, are you kidding me? These things aren't healthy. What are you talking about? What do you mean there's not enough strawberries? But, you know, for I, I don't know. I think this lawsuit will get thrown out and that'll be the end of it. I don't know. I think it's worth the humor value of uh, somebody trying to make the point that, you know, their, what's inside their Pop-Tart it literally makes a difference on this level. But, that is fantastic. Well, I think that brings us to the end of our show to this week. Uh, I think we made it to 25 minutes. I'm not sure. Uh, once again, uh, send us your ideas for things for us to talk about. Uh, tweet us at Sandune Podcast or send us an email at talk at sandune.org. 